Oh my goodness, it is episode 29 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com and my co-host who will be joining us shortly, as always, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, we have a ton of stuff to get to as always, including a bunch of questions from you guys. In our Shop Talk section, we're going to talk about bass drum beaters and how the size, the shape, and the material can affect your sound and what mine and Mike's personal favorites are. We'll also get into my personal four-stage practice method, and I'll break that down for you guys. In our gear review section, we're going to check out the Gretsch USA Custom 14 by 55 Maple Snare Drum, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Episode 29, Mr. Mike Dawson, how you doing, buddy? I am doing good. It's a hectic week for me. I don't know about for you, but I've got a gig tonight, a gig tomorrow in D.C. I'm going to be all over the place. Jeez Louise, look at you. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It reminds me of uh, like being in music school in college and having like professors give you way too much stuff to get done in one week. That's kind of my life yes. every, every week. <laughs> so it's good preparation well, to be like, you'll never have time to be fully comfortable with anything, so just get used to it. No, just get used to it. Yeah, no, it never ends. You know, yeah. uh, I, I know that at some point... I started, I guess, not shouting at the wife, but definitely bringing up, like, you just don't understand. I don't have enough time to go down out in the backyard in the middle of the rain and pick up poo. I do not have time. I'm so busy. And eventually, at one point, I just realized, this isn't like this week. This is just how it is. So now it's like, well, figure it out, man. Make make time. Go pick up the poo, buddy. You got to do it. Now, I got to ask, because I know that you're on the East Coast. And you you take your dog out for a walk, right? Yes. Yeah. Does that mean do you just do you just leave it on the sidewalk, or are you a responsible pet owner? Do you pick up the stuff? You, you know, leave it. I can see it in your face. No, you totally no, no. leave it. I can't do that. I, I I live in a neighborhood, so I couldn't do that. But I live okay. right next to some woods, so ah, one of my dogs. Actually, both of them are pretty good about going into the woods and just coming back. Like oh, I didn't do nothing. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> That's so awesome. That is awesome, dude. My 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 son. So I have I have uh, the way I see it is I have my son Jack, the boy Weimaraner, and then I have my dog Juno. She she's oh, I yeah? love her, but she's not quite my daughter. Like <laughs> Amber would freak if she heard. I love that dog so much, but she needs That's like so two mean. more years in her so that she can calm down just a little bit. Oh, she's still a puppy. No, she's five. <laughs> what? <laughs> or no, she's she's three and a half, maybe four. But she's so like when you come home, it's like coming home to Ronda Rousey all jacked up on Red Bull. She just yeah. starts swinging, and like you're like, what the hell's going on, man? And so where Jack he comes up and he's like, Dad, I know you had a rough day. You want me to get you like some green tea or what's up? <laughs> like he's so my son. But anyways, the other day uh, or probably a couple of months ago, Amber and I were walking out in Old Town Folsom, and you've been here once, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're walking around our little town. We know all the shop owners. And right in the middle of a crosswalk, he's like, this is a good place to go poo. (laughs) And he just – and so we're standing in the middle of the road as cars are waiting for us. We're in a crosswalk. And my my dog's just doing that thing. And they start shaking a little bit. Like, oh, my God. It was so – I'm, like, turning red right now thinking about it. It was so embarrassing. And I'm like, come on, man. How? How? I let you out like before we came. So I'm glad we got all caught up, man. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. My dog, Remy, when it snows, he all bets off. So he goes in the middle of the road. He's just like, oh, there's nowhere to go. It's snowing. I'm going <laughs> Dude, to go I almost right had here. green tea come out my nose. <laughs> oh, what the hell? I love dog. Did you watch the Westminster Dog Show? I did not. That was last night. Oh, it's, it's, it's just, it's so rad, especially if you've seen Best in Show. Have you ever seen that movie? Oh, yeah, Where they're of course. making fun of it. 
if you've seen that, then to watch the real thing, it's just so awesome because everything they made fun of is so spot on. Like the trainer's and clothing. Why do they have to wear that stuff? I, Amber and I brought it up. I was like, you know. You know ahead of time that you are going to be shown on TV against green AstroTurf. Yeah. Right. How was that your choice? <laughs> and why did you get it made out of chain mail? Like, yeah. like orange and blue chain mail. That, I don't get it. So that stuff, the announcers, just yeah. like, well, Henry comes from a <laughs> stock of – it's like, stop it. Stop it. You don't know Henry. You've never even pet that dog. So yeah, It's always we the did, puffy one that wins. I can't stand it. Oh. Now, Amber and I were yelling at the TV. I was like, fine, let's just let's just watch American Horror Story and cleanse our palate. That's <laughs> enough of this. Enough of this. All right, buddy. Well, I know we have quite a few listener questions to get to. That's becoming quite a segment here. Guys, if you want to submit your questions, please do. And, uh, Mike, how can they get their questions to us? You can send it to mdinfo at com, or you can comment below the podcast post on our social media. I don't recommend that you comment on moderndrummer.com, actually, because I don't check that very regularly. So we have one that came in that I think it sat there for a week or so. Okay. So you're better off just emailing directly, mdinfo at com. Just put podcast question in the subject, and it'll come straight to me. Boom. Well, let's get to it. All right. So one that came in from Jose. Uh, he actually had a question about my hybrid setup that we did a few weeks back. Yeah. Um, it says, in my demo, um, you, you know, started with a shaker loop, and then I built the drum part on top of that. So he wanted to know, do I usually play to a, an in-ear click, or do I use the loop to guide my tempo and trigger the pads? Have I had any issues in terms of the timing when triggering loops and samples? Um, and finally, he asked if we have any recommendations for good sites where we can where you can get free or paid samples. Sure. Um, so, so go down through that. Uh, I do not have a click going with this particular band, but what was really important was that when we created the loops, they were all in the same session in Ableton Live. So I was able okay. to ex- I was able to export them at the exact same tempo with the exact same start and stop points. So when I put them into the SBDS. They're always going to be in time, so they're not going to drift apart. They're, you know, they're not going to have slightly different lengths, so they don't loop correctly. So as long as I hit each pad it, it, on the correct downbeat, they're going to be pretty much locked in. Right now, has there ever been a time when I've had issues? Yes, there's been times when maybe I've mistriggered a pad, or uh, we can't really hear the monitors very well. So maybe the guitar player is a little bit out of tempo. And all I have to do, I have it set up to it's it's a start-stop feature. So if I hit the pad yep. once, it starts it. If I hit it a second time, it stops it. So I just strategically find a spot within the groove to just turn it off and turn it back on. Right. So it locks in. And it and with the start-stop feature, at least on the Yamaha um, DTX Multi-12, I'm, ass- I'm assuming it's the same for the Roland. But when you stop it and then restart it, it doesn't pick off pick up where you left off it just starts over from the downbeat of one right yeah same thing i think in rolling it's called the alternate mode or alternate mode something like that it's kind of convoluted to set it up but it's in the manual um so that's how i'd handle that and then everything else is just played in real time so i have triggers on the bass drum and snare drum that that just play single sounds so they're not they're not time dependent so every every song has some sort of a loop that i start and either fade in or it just starts a song that way so we don't use a click track. I do wear one in-ear in my left ear for monitoring, so I don't have to rely on the club to give me a good monitor mix. Because if I can't hear that loop, then we're never going to have a show. It's just not going right. to work. Now, so if you – I think one thing that Jose might be getting at too, because I've had to deal with this, is let's say that the first loop of the song comes in on the first chorus. So 
I think one thing that I used to have trouble with is, okay, well, if the loop is at a specific BPM and we're starting this song, but the loop doesn't start till the chorus, then I'm going to have to be on a click all the way up until that just so my tempo is right when that loop starts. Um, right. if, if I just counted the band in randomly and then we got to that loop, yes, that loop will be probably five or six BPM away from where I started the song randomly. So if you're, if you're starting a loop and, a tr- and you're triggering it later in the song than the beginning, then it's a good idea to be on the click the whole time so that when that happens, it's, it's in time with your drumming. Yeah, and the other time would be if you're not just playing loose, but you're playing entire backing tracks. Oh, of course. Play the whole time. You've got to. But even you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't use a click the whole way through. I would just start the song off with a metronome. Okay. So at least I know because well, this the band I'm in just a trio, so we can we can ebb and flow if we need to be. If it's a bigger band or a bigger production, then I would say yeah, definitely have a click the whole time. But and I think even the SPDS has a feature to have an internal click going. So you just, get it and the house doesn't. Yeah, I just don't yeah. use it because every, all of our songs start with some sort of an ambient loop that gets us set up anyway. So it's not, Yeah, it's that no makes problem. sense. Cool. All right, yeah, what's next? Oh, um, go ahead. Well, the last bit was recommendations for good sites. I, I don't have oh, yeah. any um, personally. I know that there are millions and millions of them out there. So just you can just Google for drum samples or, or roll-in sounds or drum loops and you'll find tons of stuff. All of the stuff Definitely. that I use were created in the studio by us. That's cool. That's very cool. I know that because um, I was using my Multi-12 for quite a bit of stuff that I was doing. Actually, I did about two years' worth of clinics where every ounce of music I played to was was loops, and I was triggering them in real yeah. time. And so BigFishAudio.com was the one that I used the most. High-quality loops, really good stuff. You can really – that actually should have been my pick of the week. I screwed it up. But <laughs> that um, – I mean, if you want like really good ambient, say like an urban jazz trio, like a, like a hip hop with horn and maybe a Rhodes and an upright bass, they have like loops for that. And then they give you the kind of the foundation loops, plus they give you one shots of maybe like a horn run or something. And yeah, cool. so, so really you get this full setup that'll really fill up all 12 of your pads or your eight pads or whatever and you have kind of the grooves and they're all and they're great for drummers because they're all grouped into uh key signature and everything so you don't have to know like well this one says d sharp this one says f major you don't have to worry about any of that stuff yeah it's just here is the folder of the d major loop pack and they'll all fit with each other so big fish audio and i think if you if any of you guys got to see a set of loops being created from scratch you would understand that it's well worth the price. You know, I, I have no problem paying you know sixty to eighty dollars for a full set of you know a hundred loops in a specific genre. Yeah, right. Yeah, I feel good about it. Uh, and and you know, one thing we should talk about in the future is, uh, I I don't know how much I can give away about it, but I was just doing that camp in New York with Matt and JP. And Matt Halpern and Nolly from Periphery, they're going in the studio right now, and they're starting to work on a full set of, of not just loops, but of drum tones and everything in that genre. Because that genre is so kind of fake right now, but Matt actually gets those kind of those tones on his own. So uh, so they're, they're doing that stuff too, so we'll feature that later. Sweet. All right, well, cool. moving on to the next question. This one is an interesting one. It came in from Kyle. And he is a professional drummer playing on a cruise ship in the Caribbean. He plays three sets a night, six days a week. 
But although he's playing a lot, practicing is something that he struggles with because of the day-to-day life on the ship. His question is, is there a way that I can somehow practice while performing? Okay. So, Kyle, right off the bat, (laughs) this is how I actually stopped touring, meaning that once I started practicing on stage, I realized, okay, I'm taking away from the music. I'm abusing the time of my fellow musicians. And it is time for me to get out of here. So when when I'd be on stage thinking, okay, well, I haven't tried out that polyrhythm stuff yet. Let me give it a go on this tour right now. And I'm going to screw up everything just to get – then it it was game over. But I do think you can practice the the things that will make the moment even better. So if you want to practice really displaying a great pulse for the song and really internalizing – you know, groove and feel, or maybe you just say, okay, in this track, it's, I'm going to try to see, can I make it through the whole track with really no fills and just really support the song? I think those are different mindsets that you could be in to practice on the gig, but actually being like, well, even though we're doing a song from no doubt, it's going to be a Samba that's going down (laughs) right now. I think that's a bad thing to do, but but practicing the things that would make that moment even better than they already are. I think that's a fantastic thing. So practice more being a musician rather than being a drummer. Yeah. What do you think, buddy? I would add, that, yes, along the same lines, I don't think the moment you take your mind and your focus out of the music that you're performing, you're not doing your job. So that Agreed. that would be a big no-no. But I would say you can always practice concentration. So can you can you play through the entire song without thinking about dinner or thinking about what you want to be playing? Or can you actually just focus on nothing but the music, clear your mind? It's really difficult for everyone, especially Americans, to do for three minutes at a time or so distracted Absolutely. all the time. So that, that will just make you so much better. And I think that's a huge key for having steady tempo. So if your tempo drifts, if you have the technical ability to play at 120 BPM, but you sit down in the kit and your tempo drifts every single time, it's your brain, it's not your body. Right. You're just not Absolutely. focusing on it. You're not internalizing the time correctly. Something's happening. So I would say that's a good thing that everyone should practice is can you – can you focus on nothing but the music? Basically, meditate while you play. Exactly. To not let any outside distractions come into your brain. That would be one thing. And now, to actually, like physical stuff that you could do, maybe there's a one song that's really easy to play. You can try playing left hand lead. You could try sure. something like that. That would be about as far as I would go, but I would make sure that I could actually play it before yeah. I got to the show. Well, and I mean, I, I know what he's going through. He's going through that feeling of like, man, my skills are diminishing. And and I think it's because I can't practice and shed the way I did leading up to this cruise gig. First of yeah. all, you do know that three years ago, this cruise gig was a dream gig for you. Now it's normal. You've gotten used to it. And so you just kind of are forgetting the value in the fact that you're a working drummer. That's a fantastic thing. Right. And let's just throw in the fact that you're a working drummer in the freaking Caribbean, dog. Right. I mean, right. that is awesome. So there's that. But I, I think what Mike and I are saying is, at least in my opinion, I've never met a musician that told me like, yeah, I didn't hire him because he didn't have fast enough hands or I didn't hire him because he did he couldn't play 14 pedals at once. It's always been I didn't hire him or her because their time was all over the place. They weren't able to concentrate. So yeah. what Mike and I are saying is the things that actually matter in the professional drumming world, you can practice that every night on stage. Yeah. The other bit would be tone production. I should have mentioned that like – what happened with me when I was on the road a while back was, you know, we played the same six songs every night for, for a month and a half straight. And I f- and we got really good at those six songs, and I started to focus on other stuff. So I wasn't worried about the songs. I was like, well, maybe I'll try not bearing the beater in my bass drum head anymore. 
Maybe I'll try to get the biggest sound I can out of the bass drum. Yeah. Maybe I'll just focus on my snare drum tone and making sure every, if I'm going to play rim shots, every rim shot sounds the same. If I'm not going to play rim shots, then don't sneak a rim shot in during the fill. Little stuff like that. Sure. It goes, that's, a, that's like next level. That's when you become, when you start to sound like the big boys. When exactly. You have complete control over your, your sound. Exactly. Yeah. That, I mean, that has to be something that that's that next level of texture and feel and touch and groove. And that's, that's what I'm trying to get some of my students to understand right now is as soon as you can play the material that I gave you, that is so step one, that is not done. That is, you know, and I think we're in this society of like, well, I checked it off. I can do it. It's like, no, you can't. Like, it's yeah. not even close to there. That's the beginning of the journey. Hell, I assume you can play it. I gave it to you. I wrote it out for you. I gave it to you in a groove scribe. You can slow it down <laughs> and speed it up. But you sound like the groove scribe. You sound like a machine. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I need you to sound, I need you to sit with it. And Will Kennedy always had the best term for that. He would always tell me, I need you to fellowship with it. Like, I need you to go deeper down the rabbit hole, fellowship with it, mm. pretend that you were there studying this stuff for two years of your life, and then I'll be able to hear that in your playing. So, awesome, yep. man. Cool. All right, moving on. Next one is another kind of abstract one. Uh, this comes from Josh, and he wants to know, how do you define making it, or at what point do you consider yourself a professional drummer? That's an right. interesting one. Do you want that to go is. first? Sure. <laughs> I, it's 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 always been very simple to me. Um as soon as I didn't have to ask my parents for any help um, financially and everything that was happening you know, in my life was paid for by the drum set. That was making it to me. Um, I, I, never, I never saw it as a goal, as like a record deal or, um, or, or an endorsement. I never saw those things as making it. I just saw it as as soon as I can pay for my car, my apartment, uh, health insurance, as soon as I can pay for life – with the drum set, then it's making it. Now that w that didn't come from one aspect of drumming. It was, I worked at the music store that gave me a source of income. I taught students that gave me another source of income. I did a few sessions, a few gigs, and I teched on a couple albums per month. And all of that with the drum set led up to an actual monthly income that paid for my whole life. And that was a great thing was to finally tell my mom like, Oh, I'll get dinner tonight, you know, or, you know, when my parents would ask, do you need any help? It's like, no, I'm fine. What do you want for Christmas? Nothing. Yeah. I'm good. You know, I wasn't balling by any means, but I paid for my life with the drum set. And that to me was making it because especially when I got my first endorsements, I realized how that world worked. It was like, oh, well, that's not making it. A producer made a call to DW and all of a sudden I was a DW artist. Like, right. Yeah. That, that could have happened to a four-year-old child, you know, so – it, to me, I thought endorsements should have been like the voice. Like I play to a, a bunch of execs that have their chairs turned around. I rip a solo and then they hit the button and turn around and Don Lombardi's there. And he's like, you're in, you're going to Hollywood. <laughs> I'm like, sweet. Um, but it wasn't that at all. So, so yeah, so endorsements weren't it for me. Um, and then the other thing is I can say this before Mike starts is once you've made it, you'll never feel like you've ever made it ever. Yeah. I still, yeah. I still currently feel like, uh, I, just, I don't imposter syndrome, right? We talked yeah. about it a couple episodes ago. Exactly. I still feel like I don't deserve any of this. What about so you, buddy? Keep you going. Well, um, let me start by saying that I think if you have to def if you have to describe yourself as a professional drummer, you're probably not there yet. Like if you introduce awesome. yourself, hi, my name's Mike. I'm a professional drummer. <laughs> you probably haven't done enough work yet. Right. I don't think Matt Chamberlain introduces himself as a professional drummer. I don't think it says on Josh Freeze's business card, professional drummer. I think it just says Josh Freeze. Right. So that's the one thing. I did, a lot of this is just mental stuff. Like Totally. 
it's just a word, professional. Professional just means you make money doing it. So if right. you're making money doing it, fine. If it's teaching, if it's playing. Uh, now, making it, for me, the big thing is if you can't use anybody else's parameters for what making it is. Totally. If you If your goal in life is to win the Guitar Center drum off and you win it, good job. You made that goal. It's absolutely no goal of mine and never will be a goal of mine to win the Guitar Center <laughs> Dude, drum off. You and I have to enter one year. Just to t- <laughs> That'd be so awesome. I mean, congrats to the people that do, and I think that's a good goal to have. But sure, that does not, absolutely. I mean, that does not mean you make it. There's not like no. a, a bunch of gigs waiting for you at, out the door when you win. Like, here you go. Here's your – Here's. I mean, there's been some people that have had some gigs – but, but they would have had those gigs without ever winning that contest. They didn't use a Guitar Center drum off as their entryway. That was no. just just a goal. If anything, I can tell you from being very good friends with JP, Eric Moore, Juan Mendoza, I can tell you right now that winning that contest is something they've had to work their ass off to put in their rearview mirror in public perception. Everywhere they go, people want them to play a drum solo. Yeah. Everywhere they go, people want them to show off. <clears throat> and you know, and Isaiah Skill. Um, Ramon Sampson. I mean, they've had to really distance themselves from that contest. So I agree with you. Yeah. So as far as defining making it, I can't tell you how to define it. You have to define it. As soon as as soon as I give you something that, I mean, I could say making it is a platinum selling record. Well, I'll probably never make it. A lot of my friends will never make it. No. But, and a lot of people that have sold platinum records are not the drummers that I wish I was. You know, exactly. It's like they just lucked into a great gig with a great songwriter. So I think you're right. Making it is just, it's just something you're going to constantly be striving for. I think there's also just that feeling that, man, I just wish my name was in the mix of people, you know, yeah. in, in whatever you wish you were doing. So I wish to be a touring clinician. Well, my goal was that when it's time to create your drum festival in Spain, my name is in the mix. That 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 to yeah. me was making it as a clinician. Uh, but for you, maybe it's just I wish I was on this album. Well, then you know, at some point, it's like, well, we could get Vinny to do it, or maybe we could get Mike Dawson to do it. It's like, wow, your name got mentioned in the mix of the guys that are doing albums. Then that's really cool, you know. Yeah. But still, making it is totally personal, like you said. Yep. So that's that's a tough one. I hope we gave you a little bit of suggestion. I would <laughs> yeah, say just just stop confused. asking those questions. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just don't ever ask that stuff again. No, no. That's it. I mean, it's a great thing that you're in that moment of your life, and then this these answers are the moment for you to say, "Yeah, screw it. I'm just going to move forward." And that's all that matters. Is today I'm better than I was yesterday. That's a good day. Yeah. And that's yeah, the, it. The word "it" is. I really hate the word "it" because it's so abstract, and you can't. You can't touch it. You can't see it. So it's it's ever elusive. And you right. always put it onto somebody else. In college, we used to always talk about, like, some people have it and some people don't. And that was just an excuse, I think. Right. It was right. just a way to just deny the fact that we I have not worked hard enough to play with the level of emotion or whatever I think Jeff Watts and Brian Blade had. Right. So it's, just an, ex- it's an excuse word, and it's a it's so elusive – like it, it's just this intangible. Yeah, there's thing. no it. There are people that are where you want to be. Then work your butt off to get there. And the yeah. great thing is, by the time that you get there, you won't ever be there. You'll have, you'll be a mix of your other influences, and they'll have already moved on to something else. So, yeah, very so the, cool. So the last question was related to our main topic from Alex Morse. So we'll come back to that. You want to shift into shop talk? Sure. Now. Shop talk. It is time to get into some bass drum beater news. Well, not news, but just information. I realized, you know that. Most bass drum pedals come with two beaters, but really three different kind of things. You have the the multi-beater that might have a felt side and a plastic side, and then you have a full felt beater. 
And I, th- I, w- I thought we should talk about them, uh, what our preferences are, and why they're out there and, w- and what their purposes are. So first of all, do you have a favorite beater? I mean, if, if I had to just choose a beater, it would be a regular round felt vintage okay. style. Not a vintage style, like a, just a classic, just a classic beater. round felt beater. That, to me, yeah. can work for any genre, any style. And, it, and most importantly, it gives you the softer attack if you need it. Whereas the hard stuff, you can never have it sound soft. It's always going to it's sound It's always going to click. Yeah. So for yeah, me, yeah. it's the most all-purpose. It's just a basic round felt. Anybody makes it beater. What kind of, you know, I've never asked this. What kind of pedal do you use? Like, what's your go-to pedal? Um, I have a 9000 that is always in my car as like a spare if, if I need a pedal or whatever. Um, okay. But my favorite pedal is, is a Vector pedal. Have you seen that what? thing? No. It's a that's a one man operation. He designed You're making a, stuff up. No, look it up. Vector pedal. <laughs> I won't. He designed this pedal that uh, you can you can turn the footboard angle without adjusting the, the feel or the throw. Really? So so you can sit at the kit naturally, almost as if you're at a double bass kit. Okay. So, so your knees aren't. You don't have to like you know tweak your knee to get the, your foot. Sure. Straight. So you just yeah. sit comfortably and naturally, but. He's designed it so when you play the pedal, it doesn't feel like it's yanking it off to the side. It's just a straight feel. It's 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 pretty amazing. I had some like knee tweak issues for a while, okay, and they're all gone. I mean, it's it's a great pedal. It's called the Vector pedal. Wow, are they astronomically expensive or somewhat in the ballpark of I think, I think a nice was, professional pedal? Yeah, I think it was cheaper than a nine thousand. I think it's like two hundred okay. bucks. Oh, maybe. that's awesome. Yeah, very so that's, cool. Well, that's my choice. The nine thousand is kind of just always there. If I'm at a house kit and I need a bass drum pedal, I'll use that. Right. Yeah, I, for me, I, I generally use a five thousand, um, but I, I honestly don't care. I, I've just come accustomed from teaching my whole life on different kits and everything else. You know, my foot will take about three minutes to get used to the pedal, whether it's yeah. a PDP yeah. or a Pearl Demon Drive. I don't really care. I use the DW five thousand if it's my choice, but I, I actually use the same beater as you. I use the uh, that pedal comes with the multi-sided beater, and then it comes with just a standard felt beater. And I've, I always use the standard felt beater because, like you said, I can really feather the bass drum and get almost no click, no attack, just that warmth of the bass drum. But if I really lay into it, it's every bit as punchy and attacky as as a plastic beater. Right. But that plastic hitting the pla- the mylar, like you said, no matter how soft you do it, there's still that click, that yeah. little ticky tick click that I, I just don't like. And then for some people that maybe haven't ever ported their bass drum or don't know about that, then you get that rebound with the click and you get, yeah. Yeah. it's like a five stroke roll every time you hit a note. <laughs> so uh, that can be, so for just for the people out there, so we've got plastic and that's going to give you probably the most attack um, out of, and then do you think, have you ever used a wood beater or does that give you the same I do. feel as plastic? I use, a, I use either a wood or a felt beater. I don't, I don't okay. use the, the plastic, plastic. beaters. Okay. I like. Uh, I have just like a Danmar. It's one of those red wood yep. beater things. I know exactly so which one you got. If I'm playing like a hard rock gig and I just need all the attack I can get, I'll use that. Or sometimes if I'm playing a double headed kit kick with no muffling, I use the wood beater to give me a little bit more attack because I can't okay. mic it. You know, I can't mic it from the inside. Sure. So I like that for that that sound. I also got um, Outlaw Drums makes wood beaters that have a much smaller head, so it doesn't okay. feel so heavy. Sure. I'm using that currently, so all the uh, the latest demo videos I've been doing for the magazine have that. It's like a small, I, don't know, I think it might be pine, a pine beater. Okay, It sounds really good. You just have to be careful with wood beaters because they will break the heads very easily. Right. you got to put yeah. an impact patch or some moleskin or something on it. Yeah. Did you ever go 
wood beater with the Danmark click pad. The one with like the, the metal plate in with it? With the silver dollar in it, yeah. Maybe when I was about 12. <laughs> totally. When I was trying to learn Cowboys from Hell by Pantera, I went, I totally did that. I went Danmark click. Actually, I started with gaff taping or duct taping a, a silver dollar on my uh, Of course. Kick. Did and he really do I was, that? I mean, is that for real? I did it. <laughs> but I, I think Vinnie Paul said he did it. Yeah, well, that's how I, I, I read it in this. Uh, <laughs> God, there was this magazine that was out for days called Modern Drummer. You got to yeah, check it yeah, out, bro. Right. Yeah, I read in Modern Drummer that he <laughs> duct taped uh, a silver dollar on his head. So I, I was like, I okay, think he's mom. Lying. I think he's just trying to get people to break their heads. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so I, I then I went and then I found out that Danmar made those. So I went to that for a little while and then. Eventually, I was like, this is the worst annoying sound ever. Why am I doing this? So uh, so now I'm over to the felt beater. Okay, so so we know that plastic and wood are going to give us more attack. Felt's going to give us the most warmth. And if you really nail it, you can get all the attack you want. So it's a very versatile beater. Now, I saw, uh, and I saw this online for quite a while. And then when I was at NAMM, I really got to see it in person. But have you checked out that the switch kick beater where you're able to switch out the tops of your beaters very fast? Yeah, in fact... Uh the April issue, which I think we start talking about in a couple of weeks, I reviewed okay. the, the whole system, so we, okay, we'll, cool. we can look in depth. But yeah, that's a that's a cool system where you attach like uh, I think it's aluminum air, aircraft grade aluminum kind of receiver into your pedal, and then you can real quickly just swap out beaters. So there's like a, a round felt, there's a plastic, there's a like there's a, vintage, a hollow plastic, a one. hollow plastic one, a vintage bomber type thing, which has a yep. fleece fleece covering, which gives a real soft attack. And they're starting to do some cool stuff like brushes. Yeah, like and those stupid hot rod things. Yeah, which is fine <laughs> on a bass drum. Yeah. No, I, I'm excited to – I can't wait to hear you test them out for sure because they – when I was at NAMM, the guy that was – I think Big Bang Distribution took over Switchkick, right? Yeah, Ahead is the is the company now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Ahead, it's, it, so Ahead's making it through Big Bang Distribution yeah. and I talked to their guys there and they were like, let us send you a bunch of this stuff. And I was like, ah. I'm so not a gimmick guy. Yeah, like I'm yeah. the opposite. Like I and I'm so paranoid of my endorsements looking like a NASCAR jersey where there's like yeah. 40 little icons at the bottom of my poster. I don't want that. Yeah. And it's like I have drums, heads, cymbals, sticks. That's it. And I mean I turn down endorsements of stuff all the time where like I'm using ProLogic's pads nonstop. But I've, I've constantly told him, like, I do not want to be endorsed. I will buy whatever you need me to buy. Yeah. I just don't want another logo on my poster. <laughs> like, I promise you, people will know about it. I'm going to yeah. use it all the time. So, uh, so yeah, so I told the SwitchKit guys, like, hey, you know, I'll check it out. And I kind of knew that you were going to be checking it out. So I can't wait to hear your review on it because I really yeah. trust your vibe on that stuff. It's a little bit heavier. I mean, it's a general observation. It's just a little heavier feel because it's just more, okay. more material. But what more I'm going to do is take them with me, too. I have a like a pretty intense gig next weekend where I'm going to be hitting super hard. Okay. I want to try it there. Cause I'm just a little, I don't like moving parts and yeah, a, a drum beater system that has moving parts. I'm, I'm, I want to just give it a shot and see if it can last to 45 minutes straight of like full on as loud as I can play tight drumming. Sure. Let's well, cool. Well, we'll look forward to that review. All right. Alrighty, let's move into the feature today, and we're going to talk about practice. And this kind of relates to, it just worked out this way. Uh, one of our, listeners, Alex, and I'll have Mike read the question a little bit, was asking about setting up your practice. And recently, I just decided to come up with a method of practice that I thought could work for artists rather than drummers. And I wanted to step away from it. So I'll let uh, Mike talk about the question first and say who asked, and then we'll get into it. 
Yeah, this came from Alex Morse, and he was saying, um, since there's so much material out there and so many things I feel I need to improve on, I always get distracted when working on a topic, and a few days later I'm doing something else without knowing how I got to that point. Should I just pick three things and work on them for a certain amount of time? Should I tackle another three on a different day? Do you guys stay focused on improving without getting influenced by all the good stuff out there? So he's he's trying to, how do we you know, get Narrow through the down. weeds? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I was really shocked by, I started teaching this to a couple private students once I kind of figured it out for myself. And then I took it. Where was the next place I did it? Then I took it uh, to Bentley's Drum Shop and did my entire clinic on this thing that I'm calling the four-stage practice method. And I was super nervous. Like, why would a crowd sit and listen to an hour of me babbling about how to practice? And it was the best reception I've ever gotten at a clinic. So that had nothing to do with me. That tells me that this is something that every drummer struggles with. Then I took it to the Common Thread Drum Camp with J.P. Bouvet and Matt Halpern. I did it there. And imagine I'm sitting next to peripheries drummer who can rip all day jp just taught some amazing mind-blowing stuff and then i'm going to talk about practice the most boring thing ever (laughs) same thing everyone just like that just changed my life and i'm like wow i guess we all really need this as a thing so as a teacher i've always told people how to practice based off of our normal subject matter okay you're going to need to do some rudiments you're going to warm up with this then you're going to do some independence work i want you to work on your grooves you're going to trade fills i was always using drumming terminology to tell students what to do then students would ask me hey i have 45 minutes to practice what should i do well the problem was i don't know what your dreams are so the independence that i just gave the person before you is completely unimportant if you're trying out for the John Mayer trio because you should be working on your groove and your touch and your feel. So what I realized was that those subject matters, rudiments, uh, independence, hand speed, foot speed, ostinatos, those are not the things that we should be focusing on as far as plugging them into our practice routine. We need to come up with a bigger picture. We need to zoom out and really see this as an art. How do you practice art? So I started really thinking about categories that were based in art rather than in drumming so the first stage of the four stage practice method this takes up we're going to do this as kind of a 50 minute practice routine first stage is 10 minutes and it is called non-creative so your first thing you do is a non-creative exercise now the non-creative is anything that requires zero thought zero concentration it's something you can already do but you wish you were faster cleaner more precise and more control of the dynamics of whatever you're playing. So maybe it could be right, right, kick, kick around the drum set. You can do it. It doesn't take any thought. You already can do it. You just wish you were faster at it. You wish you were more precise. You had more control over it. Maybe it's single strokes around the drum set. So this is 10 minutes, non-creative. And every day can be something different. Or you could do, Alex, you could do the same one for two weeks in a row because you just really wish you were better at that skill set. So I see the non-creative. If you're a painter... That would be, okay, I'm going to draw 500 circles today. Cool. I wish I was better at drawing a circle. I'm actually, as an artist, I'm not perfect at drawing a circle. It doesn't take any thought. You know what a circle is. You just wish you were better at it. And so that's the non-creative. Step two or stage two is creative. A creative exercise is something that has a small amount of parameters, but for the most part, you're having to improvise in the moment. So maybe it would be if we think about Nathaniel Townsley at the Modern Drummer Festival in 2003, 
he's got a solo that's built around a two-measure phrase, and the anchor is the downbeat of one and the of one. So he goes one e and a two e, and improvise, 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 one e and a, and he just does that over and over again. So that would be a creative exercise. Maybe another creative exercise would be I'm going to play samba with my feet and eighth notes with my right hand, and then I'm going to solo with my left hand for 10 minutes and just come up with as many creative things as you can. So picking a small set of parameters, um, something I just did, I don't know if you ever saw this, Mike, but um, there's a a Christian McBride video with Terry Angoli on drums, and it's just a drum solo video, but his whole solo is is against a quarter note with a cross stick. Oh, yeah, Um, right. So he's just going clack, clack. And he never stops that quarter note. So that's a great creative exercise. You're going to solo for 10 minutes against a quarter note cross stick. Okay, so that's another 10 minutes. So now think about where we are right now. So you just spent 10 minutes warming up your body but not your brain. You're physically warmed up on the drum set. Then you spend another 10 minutes only warming up the creative side of your brain, a completely different aspect of the brain. So now you're 20 minutes deep and you are primed and ready. Your brain is fully firing and your body is completely warmed up it's time for stage three stage three is called main focus so main focus this is where you plug in whatever is most important to you at that moment if you are in a cover band maybe this is where you learn your 10 new songs if you are working out of a book this is where you say okay i'm going to do page 26 out of future sounds if you're working on one of my lessons from my website this is all right i'm going to learn the bio from MikeSelsons.com. It doesn't matter. This is whatever is most important to you at the moment, and this is going to be 20 minutes, 20 to 25 minutes. Now, why 20 to 25 minutes? Uh, Mike, have you ever heard of the Pomodoro method? No, I have not. Okay, so the Pomodoro method is based around a a Pomodoro tomato timer that you would have in like any kitchen, and it's a 25-minute timer. And the reason why this is so important is there's been hundreds and hundreds of neuroscience studies that show the brain can only accept new information it can only learn at its prime peak for about 25 minutes and then it starts to deteriorate after that you start learning at a slower and slower speed so right at 25 minutes that's where you need to stop accepting this new information now people think like so i shouldn't practice more than 25 minutes No, no no i've played for six hours straight and never practiced once yeah Practicing is working on something you currently struggle with. You're trying to learn something that you cannot do. And those first two stages, they were things you could already do. So you haven't practiced yet. You've just warmed up. So the main focus is 25 minutes, 20 to 25 minutes of whatever you wish you could do, whatever you can't do. It's your main focus. I want to learn this song. I want to learn this groove. And now, you, at that point, you could take a break. About a 10-minute break is all you need to reset the Pomodoro method mm. and get that, okay, now I can – your brain kind of just unswells, the sponge rinses out, and now it's retained the information and you're ready to go again. So for any of you that say, well, I don't want to practice for 50 minutes. I want to practice for two hours. What I would say is once you get to main focus, do 25 on, 10 off. 25 on, 10 off, 25 on, until you're ready for stage four. Stage four is the most important aspect of this entire method, and it is called musical application. In the art world, if I was teaching this to any other artist, I would just call it practical application. Musical application is saying, okay, I've worked on the physical skill set of playing this instrument. I've worked on being creative. I've learned something new, but now it's time to actually do what matters, play along to music. So this is a very specific thing. It's not jamming. You need to have a music randomizer app. Pandora would be fine. Spotify on Shuffle would be fine. 
and you need to pick an artist. Any artist will do. So let's say uh, for today we use 90s trip hop, sneaker pimps. That's our artist. I put that on Pandora. Now, I don't jam to it. What I have to do for a minimum of two songs, 10 minutes, is I need to mentally audition for this band. So I need to put myself in the mindset of the sneaker pimps, think, how am I going to recreate this ride symbol? What is the bass drum doing? Like, what I don't want you guys to do is do not start playing drums when you hear the music. Wait. Wait a very long time and really internalize. What is the kick drum doing? Where does the snare land? Are the hi-hats really, really tight and crisp? Or are they chunky? Do I need to play a little further down on the side of my stick, on the side of the hat? And then when you commit to it, from that moment on, close your eyes and audition for that band. Don't jam, don't fill, audition for the sneaker pimps. And you'll have two songs minimum of really saying, okay, this is what matters more than anything else. And when you get off the drum set, I promise you will feel more accomplished than you've ever felt in any practice session. Matt Halpern just texted me that he's been doing this since our camp, getting ready for the new Periphery album. And yeah. he says it's completely changed his life. Oh, so. That's great. So yeah, so that's the four-stage practice method. I wish I had a... I promise you, I spent so much time trying to come up with a cool name for it. I was like, the Mike method? No, <laughs> like I couldn't come up with anything. So, But it's just, it's very simple and... All you have, and then what's great is you'll start creating. You'll have this database of what are your non-creatives, what are your creatives, and it's just that first twenty minutes that primes you to yeah. learn for that twenty-five minute chunk of main focus. Now, what about during the ten-minute breaks? Do you go back to a non-creative or a creative segment? No, I would. I would probably get a Actually, bite to eat, walk around. Yeah, you know, maybe a good time so that you can be less distracted. Maybe a good time to check your social media. And be like, yeah. okay, cool. I checked it. I don't have to have that aching feeling that I'm missing out on the world right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, the four-stage practice method. And I really hope that it helps you guys. And please, please, uh, if you can and you try this out, please write in to us and let us know, did it help? Did it not help? How did you tweak it to make it better? We're all human beings. And me telling you this is the only way to practice would be the worst thing I could ever do as an educator. This is an outline for the people that just don't know how to practice. If you're already practicing flawlessly, then don't worry about it, you know. Um, But if you're just kind of like, man, I just like Alex, I just don't even know what to do. This will give you an outline and it'll and you'll just start growing so fast as a drummer because you will find something in there in between creative and non-creative. You will find out what is your horror, like what is like horror, not horror. horror. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Creative is my horror. (laughs) Uh, Horror. That'll get you some clinics and some yeah. public schools. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, fourth graders? Let's talk about it. Okay, so uh, I'm red again. Uh, so anyways, please let us know how it goes for you. And then, like I said, feel free to season to taste. Make it your own thing. Now, uh, you, all this was talked about on a, on a kit. Are you anti-practice pad for this kind of no, stuff? No, not at all. So, you know, maybe a practice pad non-creative would be groupings of three with, uh, you know, with eight on my right hand, eight on my left hand. Da 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 da. I love doing things like that because the way I see it is in my body, I have a teacher and a student. My right hand is my teacher and the left hand is the student. So if I play, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three with my right hand, I can stare at it and go, okay, you're the teacher. You're doing everything perfect. Now I'm going to do it left hand and my student needs to learn from my right hand. So that would be a great non creative exercise to work on your groupings of three. Uh, then a creative exercise on the pad might be I'm going to play constant 16th notes, but for 10 minutes I'm going to solo only using accents and flams. Uh-huh. No diddles, no rests. So yeah, pad would work just fine. And then main focus might be I'm going to learn this 
solo out of the Wilcoxon book. Yeah. You know? Okay. So, yeah. Sweet. There you go. Makes me want to practice again. <laughs> well, good, man. I, I would love to get uh, your take on it as well. It, it is what I used leading up to the London Drum Show, which became the greatest set of clinics of my entire life as far as a relaxation standpoint. I felt so prepared right. that it, it, it totally changed my life. And that's when I knew, okay – I'm the test subject. It worked. Now it's time to pass it on to my students. So, do you set like long term timelines? So, like, I'll, I'll go ahead and say my two goals for main focus would be left hand lead and double bass drum. How long do you give yourself to get to that out of your main focus? I, I think it's just a comfortability thing. Once you feel like it, and then it's also main focus needs to be whatever's the most pressing in your world. So something will yeah. take over left hand lead and double bass because you have this gig coming up. You have to yeah. learn these songs, um, and so yeah, I think it's just it's okay for, to allow main focus to kind of float in and out of what is the most important to you at that moment. Okay. You know, there will there will come a time where your feet you'll just go. I just don't need to be any faster than this for what I wish I could do. Right. You know so. I've never heard you play double bass. I look forward to it. Yeah, just well, this this project I just started recording. I just finished recording. Some of the riffs were just like it was it was maxing me out with one foot, like just like, really through a lot of a lot of threes and stuff. That it, I mean, listening back, I'm like, man, I should just did that with a double pedal, but my my own ego wouldn't let me. You know, like I'm not going to play that with a double pedal. Right, right. So I just and really, it's because I can't. So. I think that's that just needs. I just for me, I just need to stop avoiding it. Say, all right, let's be fluent. I mean, Josh Shreve has a double pedal. Gil Sharon uses a double pedal. They don't play blast, you know, blast beats twenty four sure. seven. But they use it when it's needed. Yeah. So I mean, I'm, I want to make it a goal within the next year. I want that to be solid and left hand lead. I just want to make a switch over. I nice. think I want to make a wholesale switch over for to left hand lead. Really. And you're left-handed, I mean, so yeah. Oh, I want to be able to just do whatever I, whatever works for a given thing. Like my electronic band, if I played left-hand lead, it'd be so much easier to play the pad. Yeah. Instead of having to like, go under it or over it, or now I'm using yeah. an X hat on the right side of my kit. I'm like I'm taking extra gear. When if I just played left-handed, it would be just easy. Yeah. No, but, I feel you, man. I feel you. All righty, let's get into some gear review. This is the candy of our of our podcast. So I wanted to review the Gretsch USA Custom 14x5 Maple Snare Drum. This is a six-ply maple snare drum. And you might think, like, dude, you're just going into your closet and pulling out snares. I literally just got this. And I've been a Gretsch artist for about four years now. And for whatever reason, I mean, I have a USA Custom kit. I have, like, you know, four or five kits from them. I have a ton of snares. And I realized... I just didn't have their classic snare drum, which is a Gretsch USA Custom, made in USA, made in their South Carolina factory, 14 by 5.5 maple snare drum. And I say maple, but it's maple, maple, gum, gum, maple, maple. Um, okay. Actually, no, I think I lied. I think it's maple, then four plies of gum, then one ply of maple. Um, so it's more I'll, gum than maple. I think it is, actually. Yeah, I'll have to look up the plies. Maybe we'll just um, – I'll call Gretsch uh, later today and then on tomorrow's or I mean, on next week's podcast, I'll give you the definitive answer. But for some reason, I think it's a maple sandwich or a, a gum sandwich with just maple on the outer and the inner. Okay. Um, I think that's actually what the USA custom shells are. And even that's though, different from Brooklyn because they use poplar? Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah, Brooklyn is the exact same. Whatever the ply is, it's the same thing, but it's maple, then poplar, then maple. And then broadcaster is maple, poplar, maple, but three ply shell. Okay. And different bearing edges. So this is a 14 by 5.5 wood snare drum. 
the the big difference between the Brooklyn uh, is going to be it, it is a ten lug snare drum, so there's a lot of metal on the drum, but it has the die cast hoops that come with the USA custom kits instead of the kind of double flange 302 hoops that are on the Brooklyn. So this is a heavier drum. Immediately, it was so much snappier. There was so much more snare noise. And when we do the audio for this, I still have the stock head that it shipped with on the drum because um, okay. I knew I wanted to review this. So I didn't switch out to what I would normally play, which is an Aquarian Response 2. This is a single-ply kind of you know Remo. I would say this is a Remo Ambassador. There's no dot on it. Yeah. Stock head's on the bottom. 25-strand uh, snare on the bottom. And, yeah, it just... I don't know, man. Like it really is snappy compared to most of my wood snares. I was really impressed with it. So I don't know if it's the gum that's making it do that, mm-hmm. but it doesn't sound like the Brooklyn. The Brooklyn sounds like a, a regular old wood snare drum. It's very woody sounding. This is really snappy, it, but it has none of that high end overtones of a metal snare drum. Yeah. So it's you know, and it's funny too because I have so many friends that I really just look up to as. And I'm talking like Sacramento drummers that have been around forever. And they always have their Gretsch USA custom snare with them. And, and it's got a head from 1928. I mean, it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's just wrecked. And it just sounds like, oh, that just sounds like a snare drum. So <laughs> what I'm really excited about is I've got this snare. And this is Gretsch's classic. I mean, high end. This is a professional snare drum. USA custom 14 by five and a half snare, wood snare. And what's great is I just talked to Mike Neeland over at Gretsch yesterday, and he's sending me their bronze that came out at NAM this year. Yeah. But they haven't even got them in yet. He's literally sending me the one from NAM. So maybe in like two or three weeks from the podcast, I'll review that. And then we can maybe put the sound samples of the two of them together so people can really hear yeah. a Gretsch maple snare versus a Gretsch bronze snare and really um, check that out. You know, so. I want to hear it also because my first thought was kind of like how we talk about bass drum beaters. That's one of the things that we forget affects the sound so much is the beater. Like you can change your bass drum entirely by just yeah. changing the beater. You can change your snare drum sound by the batter head like drastically. Oh, totally. I mean, I, I think that any of the snare drum reviews I've done on here – have been slightly skewed because I've already got my head on it with my tuning yeah. and and which is a two ply head, correct? Yeah, and it's and it's a it's it's really I mean in the other terms that people would know it's a Remo Emperor or it's an Evans G two. It's a yeah. So the Aquarian Response two is is a two ply and both plies are seven mil. So I have a theory that you're going to start using uh, coated single plies on your snare drum now. Dude, don't don't screw me over like that. <laughs> I mean, I don't I have think- I I don't have the option. Well, I could do it for half the year. The other half the year, I have campers here, and they yeah. come in with their little ball tip sticks, <laughs> and they just start wailing. And I'm like, thank you. That now the heads are toast. So yeah, it's it's funny actually. Summertime, I or non summertime, the whole year long, I use Aquarian Super Twos, which is a seven mil and a five mil, so it's two mil thinner than the response to. Yeah. And then I switch back to response twos for camp season because people are just kind of beating up on my drums. But yeah, I think you you might be right. Maybe the snappiness that I'm hearing is coming from that single ply head. Yeah, so just keep that one set up with a single ply and let no one touch it. It's just Ugh. your drum. It's and it matches my bass drum hoops. It's in the I'm looking at it right now. It's in this beautiful dark <laughs> mahogany walnut mix of happiness and oh it's beautiful it's beautiful so let's hear this thing and then uh, when 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 I get the the bronze we will check that out. In this first example, I'm going to play the drum completely wide open and at about a medium to high tuning, completely stock heads, and absolutely no muffling.
this example, the only thing that's changed is the fact that I've added one piece of Vader buzzkill to the batter side head to take out a little bit of the overtones. Okay, time for Pick of the Week, and I'm going to start it. And this is something that I hope still exists. I know you can find it on Amazon, uh, but I, I don't know if, if Gibraltar is going to continue to make them because we just frankly don't know what is going on with Gibraltar hardware at the moment. Uh, but they make this thing called the Wing Key, which is a it's a multi-purpose drum key slash conga wrench slash uh, wing nut wrench that all kind of is in a handheld thing. That I I've had it for a while and I just started using it again and it's it's pretty awesome especially if you play a lot of house kits and you need to like deal with stripped bolts and things. Um, it's also good for tuning the bottom two uh, tuning lugs on the bass drum without having to move your pedal out of the way. Oh yeah yeah, it's That's always enough. a hassle. Yeah, it's long enough that it can kind of reach in there without getting in the way of your your pedal and it you know it's it's hard to describe. It just looks like a like a cross. That's like the size of your hand, like a f- it fits in the palm of your hand. So, I think it's like thirty bucks, which is kind of pricey. But factoring in, you get you get basically three tools in one. I think it's it's pretty awesome, and and now it's become my. I mean, I have to have it in my stick bag at all times. So it has, like I said, it has a tuning key, it has a conga wrench, or that you can use that same wrench if you need to like tighten down bolts on like old Ludwig stands and stuff like that that don't have thumb screws. And it also has a, a nice wing nut wrench. You can really, you know, those hi-hat stands that won't move, you can really, you can get them going without having to use your drumsticks or whack them with, a, with something, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that can be so tough. And, it, and especially if it's a cold gig and your hands are hurting already. Oh, yeah, oh. exactly. So it's, it's, I know exactly which one you're talking about. I, I think I've had one of those in the past. They're great. Yeah, super cool. So that's my pick of the week, the Gibraltar Wing Key. Um, maybe it will be taken out of the Gibraltar catalog, so you can just look for Wing Key. You'll probably see what I think. Frankie Paris is the guy who invented it, so you can look for him or Go Gibraltar Winky. Nice, very nice. My pick of the week this time is a book, and it's more of a book from the perspective of as a teacher than it is as a drummer. And it's called Basic Drumming by Joel Rothman. It is a giant pink book, and since it doesn't come with a CD or a tape, or well, I don't think anything comes with a tape, but uh, since it doesn't come with any kind of audio, it's probably only going to cost you under twenty dollars, maybe fourteen dollars to $19 on Amazon or wherever you try to get it. And Basic Drumming by Joel Rothman is just a great book to have as a teacher because it is the basics of almost every aspect of drumming. So instead of ever getting advanced, the basics of grooves from your very first beat that you would ever teach a student all the way up to some somewhat complicated grooves is in there. And then it stops. And then it's like, okay, now it's the basics of maybe snare drum snare drumming you know and and you get and there's even marching charts in there and you learn quarter notes eighth notes 16th notes eighth note triplets your rolls your flams so there's probably 40 pages of snare drum only stuff in there then another 200 pages of drum set stuff but like i said it's the basics of everything so if you wanted the basics of jazz coordination to teach to your students 
instead of starting them off with something that could be a little confusing, like maybe John Riley's Art of Bop Drumming, this would be a great place to get them started first. Get them mm-hmm. to understand the basics of drum set independence in the jazz idiom. And then once they have that down a little bit and they can really visualize it in the big way that's laid out in basic drumming, then you could take them to Chapin's book or you could take them to The Art of Bop Drumming by John Riley. Um, and even, I mean, it goes, if you have to play um, a bar mitzvah, it's got the Jewish Freilachs in it. It's got a, I'm serious. Like, it's got all the, it's got it. It's all in there, man. So um, I would not he, know how to play there at all. <laughs> I think it's just a punk beat really quietly. You know? <laughs> right. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's all in there. And so I've, I've always had it as a resource for when a student is somewhat new or they're entering a new aspect of drumming. It's, it's just a great, simple book. So it's called Basic Drumming by Joel Rothman. It, it's probably like 250 pages. It's a long book, but it just becomes your resource. And it becomes kind of like, okay, there's my quarter notes page. When I teach quarter notes for the rest of my life, it's page six in Joel Rothman's book. And when I teach eighth notes to 16th notes, it's page 27 or whatever it is. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a really good book. That dude makes a lot of books, though. Oh, he's I got think, hundreds and hundreds of books. Unreal. Is he a yeah. drummer? Like, I don't know who Joel Rothman is. He's been around forever. And interestingly, he he was actually an inspiration behind Ron Spagnardi starting the Modern Drummer Book Division. Really? Yeah. One of, uh, one of Ron's first books was actually published through Joel's company. Wow. Yeah. So there's a connection with him that goes back 40 years, 40 That's plus crazy, years. That's crazy, man. And I mean, yeah, it's like he has like the best topics. It'll be like show off drum fills and he's got a whole book on it and i'm like okay <laughs> and the like, artwork is so so the, classic it's the best dude it's he's not about to update that for anyone and i love it <laughs> but you know what uh one thing that we should have talked about someday on on top of it and maybe we, we will maybe we can have a whole day on drum book artwork but what the hell is going on on the cover of funky primer have you ever seen that thing oh, which one is that is that just like it's, a black cover no so funky primer has it's like a gray cover there's like a weird um, kind of military-esque, I don't know, Christopher Columbus dude, but on the drum set, the bass drum spurs are dragon legs. Uh, oh, every, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll have to send you a, a JPEG of it because every aspect of that book of the Funky Primer is like, what in the... I mean, there's like serious... Puff the Magic Dragon stuff going on there, okay? I'm well, not you got to check the copyright date. If it's 67, 68. Exactly. You, you know what was going down. And then <laughs> it's beautiful, man. All right, everybody. That is going to do it for episode 29 while Mike and I pull ourselves together. Guys, thank you for everything. Thank you for listening. Mike and I keep running into people around town that are listening to the podcast and just mentioning what it's kind of doing for their world. And, and the greatest thing is – one of the main compliments we get is the fact that it's doing what we wanted to do. It's it's helping people feel more in the loop in the drum world and getting to know the names and the terminologies and just understanding that Mike and I have been doing this our whole lives and we still struggle with this frustrating instrument too. So you are in you are I don't know if you're in good company, but you're in company. And we're yeah, right. we're there with you. We're going we're going through it with you. So everyone have a fantastic day and please if you get a chance, please go to iTunes or wherever you get this podcast and rank us. Uh, Give us a four-star rating or better, and please write a short review. That helps other people find this podcast as well. So, Mr. Dawson, I will see you next week, my friend. All right. Have a good one. Peace.